0: So um, I know we were all raised in different ways with different families, but the way I I was raised was um, that the man in the relationship is um, ultimately responsible for the relationship, which seems like a terrible idea because we're so bad at relationships, you know? Um, But that's how I was raised. And and again, that's just how I was raised. But uh, the way I internalized that growing up and and even moving into marriage was that um, if anything went wrong in the relationship, that um, ultimately somehow... It was my fault. And I say, somehow, because sometimes it takes me a few minutes to figure out how it's my fault. So in our marriage, it goes like this Sandra's like, Andy, I'm so sorry. You know, I should have told you, Andy. You know, and I'm like, oh, no, no, it's my fault. It's my fault. She's like, how is that your fault? And I'm like, I don't know, just, just give me a minute. I, you know, I'll come up with something. I just feel this, again, I don't know if it's healthy and this isn't marriage advice, this is just me. And so through the years I have a default. So when I can't figure out how what she did or what she was apologizing for is ultimately my fault, I default to this. Well, if I hadn't asked you to marry me in the first place, <laughs> this would have never happened. Again, I'm not suggesting this is a habit or pattern. This is just this is just us. And the reason I bring it up is this: as we kind of jump into the content today, Um, given enough time, given enough time, there is always a way to sneak yourself a slice of what we're going to call the blame pie. Given enough time, you know, regardless of what happened, who said what, or how long ago that relationship was broken, or how recently it was broken, or maybe something happened this morning or this afternoon, and, and, and there's you know there's conflict in the relationship. Given enough time, there's always a way to find yourself a slice of the blame pie, even if it's just a just a little sliver of the pie. Because whenever there's relational conflict, somebody is to blame. And here's what I know about you. When there's relational conflict, there's somebody to blame and it's not you, is it? Sometimes. Let's just be honest. No, it's not you, you're a mature. I mean, you would have never, you know, it, it's, 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 it's not you. It's, it's the other person. Or let's just say it's rarely you. And if your goal, as we've talked about in this series, and if you haven't been with us, I'm gonna catch you up in a minute. If, if your goal, and I hope it is, is to get back to that person rather than get back at that person, One of the best ways to get back to rather than get back at is to take a slice of the pie. Maybe a little bit larger slice of the pie. But anyway, and and the way you get back is you grab a piece or you slice a piece of the blame pie. Okay, so today uh, we are in part three of a four four part um, series entitled Reassembly Required, A Beginner's Guide to Repairing Broken Relationships. And it is just a beginner's guide. So the reason I say that, if you're in counseling, stick with your counselor. This is just the beginner's guide to repairing broken relationships. But after we finish the beginner's guide, some of you may realize you need an advanced course on repairing a broken relationship, you should get a counselor. So anyway, A Beginner's Guide to Repairing a Broken Relationship. And what we've said throughout is this, we are all much better at starting relationships and even maintaining relationships than we are at fixing relationships when they break. And when there's a conflict or when there's a crack or when there's a breach or when there's that silent distance, you know, and we're thinking, uh uh-oh, something's wrong. And again, this could be recent or this could have happened years ago. We generally employ management tools that do not work in relationships. So in week one, I introduced the C4 approach to relationship management because relationships need to be managed. Absolutely they they don't. And so there were the four C's, the convince. you know, I'm just going to give you a bunch of information. Then you're going to see it my way and repent, you know, Uh, the convict. Well, after all I've done for you, it's kind of the shame thing, you know, then coerce and control. So we naturally, when the relationship gets a little wobbly or it breaks, or we're thinking, you know, hey, this has been a mess for a while. I want to get back in there and fix this. These are the the kinds of things we go for. We go for management tools and we manage to make things worse. Because and then when they don't work, because none of this ever works relationally doesn't work on you, it doesn't work on me, it doesn't really work on anybody, then we get frustrated. We get frustrated and we're frustrated because we we just feel so shut out. So then we shut down and we feel locked out. So we kind of get locked down. If you're more like me, more of an introvert, or if you're more of an extrovert, you get too expressive and you say too much and you just make things worse. And then... When you realize this isn't going anywhere, you know, I've been too quiet or I've been too, you know, I've said too much, you know, nothing I've tried to work we we basically fall into making one of three excuses. And I want to talk about these real quick. And the first one is so insidious. In fact, this first excuse we make when the relationship isn't getting any better and nothing we do and nothing we've tried helps. This this first one that we retreat to, if this is you, this This is worth the price of admission, which I think is zero. So it's, yeah, it's worth the price of admission. So here it is. I don't care. I just don't care. I don't even care anymore. I, I don't even care anymore. Do you wanna talk about it? I don't care anymore. Don't you think you should call her? I don't even, I just don't care. When you hear yourself say, I don't care, or when you catch yourself thinking, as the reason you're not gonna pursue or try to patch things up, I don't care. You need to pay really close attention to that because I don't care is often what we say about things we actually care deeply about. We, we, we don't say I don't care about things we don't actually care about because they don't even cross our minds, right? I, I don't care when it comes to that person or that group. It may mean I'm powerless to do anything about it but I wish I could. I don't care. I think what you mean is you feel powerless to do anything about it. And you're, you're retreating to pretending like, or trying to convince yourself that you really don't care when in actuality, you're just powerless to do anything about it. And things we can't do anything about, but wish we could are actually things we care deeply about. And here's why I say it's so insidious. When that connection gets lost, We become unhealthy. And here's what I mean by connection. When you really do care, but you decide that you don't care, all that frustration and all that energy, even though you turn your back on that person or that group of people, because you don't care, you're carrying all that energy, all that anger, all that stuff. And it's gonna go with you. It's gonna go with you into another relationship. And you'll never be able to resolve that relational conflict because you may never understand what's fueling it to begin with. And when we do that, we become our own worst enemy. And here's the thing that makes it even comp- compounds the complexity and the tragedy is you may reall- you may have very little blame. You, you, there may be very little that you did to create the tension to begin with, but your little itty bitty slice of the pie, and I don't care, sets you up oftentimes for history to repeat itself. So if you're one of those people, it's like, you know what, I'm not ever calling it, I I just don't care. I may be wrong, okay? This is the beginner's guide, right? But you should pay attention to that. The second excuse that we run to when we just don't think we can make things any better is I already tried. And we've talked a little little bit about this. I've already tried. And I tried, what I tried indicates is arms crossed, I'm done. I'm waiting on them. I'm waiting on them. The problem with I tried and I'm waiting on them is what we talked about in weeks one and two. The goal in reassembling a relationship, the goal in reassembling a relationship is no regrets. You, the goal can't be to reassemble or to reconcile the relationship because you don't have access to all the parts, right? It's not like a broken plate that you can glue back together. So the goal is a posture that says, I, you know, regardless of what happens at the end of the day, I'm gonna go to bed every, every night and know there's no regrets. And I'm gonna get to the end of my life and know when it comes to that relationship that never got to where I hoped it would get to, I don't have any regrets. And when you cross your arms and when I cross my arms and just say, you know what, I tried, What we've basically said is I'm gonna have the posture of waiting on them as opposed to a posture of leaning in to them because the goal is to keep the door open. The goal is to keep the drawbridge down, to keep the welcome mat at. It's a posture, it's an attitude. And of course, as you already know, it's a a process. This is why... The first of our four decisions that we talked about last time is so important. And if you're just joining us for this series, we've said when it comes to reassembling a relationship, there are four decisions you have to make to reconcile with another person. And the first decision we talked about is that I've decided I'm gonna get back to, not get back at. I've decided, no matter how bad it was or whose fault it was, I've decided I'm gonna get back to, not get back at. I'm gonna take retribution and payback off the table. I'm not punishing, I'm pursuing. And when we say, you know what? I already tried, I'm done. Essentially, we've undecided the first decision, which is I'm gonna get back to not get back at. Then the third excuse that we run to and we can't seem to make the relationship any better is this, well, you know, it wasn't my fault anyway it wasn't my fault. Well, of course there's conflict, but you know, it just wasn't my fault. And this is where our internal narrative always ends. I mean, when you think about that person or when you're telling the story, you know, why don't you call your mom? You know, why are you and your dad? You know, what about your brother? Hey, you, the guy you worked with, you all were so close. What happened? When you rehearse that story either externally or internally at the end of the story, the moral of the story is just wasn't my fault. It always ends there, right? And that may be true. It may not have been your fault. But if you've been tracking along with us in this series, that's really beside the point. Because reassembly, reconnection, working toward reconciliation, it always begins with us, regardless of who initiated the fuss. And here's why, it's not just cute, here's why. Because the healthiest and the most mature person in the conflict The healthiest and the most mature person in the relationship is the person that should make the first move because they're the healthiest and they're the most mature. And here's what I know about all of you. You are the healthiest and you are the most mature people in that relationship, aren't you? Yeah, of course you are. Of course, they think, no, they are, but that's the point. If the healthiest and most mature person in any argument or any relational breakdown will make the first move, everybody thinks they're are just we're just arrogant enough to think, well, I'm definitely more mature. I would have never acted like that, right? So if you really are the healthiest, and I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt. I mean, we only attract healthy and mature people to, to all of our audiences, right? That's why you're here, right? The, because you're the healthiest and the most mature, you should make the first move. And if you're a Christian, Gosh, we don't have any excuse because here's what we believe. That God made the first move toward us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For God's who loved the world, that he moved in our direction, not to get back at us, but to get back to us. And then he invited us to do the same for the people around us. He invited us to do for others what God in Christ has done for us. And to ensure that we do, Jesus um, asked us a really, really irritating question. To ensure that we don't use the other person's behavior as an excuse to just cross our arms and say, hey, I'm waiting, you know, whenever you're ready, I'm I'm, I'm waiting, but I'm not going to, to ensure that we don't do that. Jesus asked all of us a really, really irritating question. And if you're not like a church person or didn't grow up in church, you've probably heard this before, but you may not have known that Jesus said it. And regardless of your religious background or if you have any religion, this is so relevant. It's a reason I think you should consider following Jesus regardless of what you think about Jesus, because it's these kinds of things that are so brilliant and so life-changing and ultimately so world-changing. So. Jesus is looking at us. He knows about our relationships. He knows what they did and what you did and she, you know, they know, he knows all the circumstances. And then he gets all up in our business and he says, Hey, I got a question. Why, why do you look at that speck of sawdust in their eye? Your brother's eye, sister's eye, sister-in-law, brother-in-law, the person you work with, the person you're married to, your neighbor, you know, whoever it was, that uncle that messes things up and you don't invite him anymore. Why, why do you look at this speck, that little tiny itty bitty thing of sawdust in your brother's eye, and you don't pay any attention to the plank in your own eye? In other words, you say, why, why are you so focused on what they did? Why are you so focused on what they did that, oh yeah, you can't do anything about. And why aren't you paying any attention to what you did that you can do something about? Why aren't you paying any attention to your part that you can address? And we all have the same answer to this question. To begin with Jesus, to begin with Jesus, it's not a speck of sawdust, okay? That thing in their eye, it's not little itty bitty. Were you not paying attention? It's huge. He left. She didn't follow through. They fired me for no good reason. He stole my idea. Uh, Again, he ruined Christmas. He ruined Thanksgiving. We're not inviting him back. I'm not gonna have anything to do with him. So you may say it's a little itty bitty speck, but from where I'm standing, it is not a little itty bitty speck. It is a really big deal. She won't accept responsibility for her actions. He won't follow through. So don't get all on me about a little speck in his eye. It is not a speck. So that's answer number one. Answer number two, I don't have a plank in my eye. So you're wrong on both accounts. In fact, I think you've confused the two of us. They're the one with the plank. I'm the one with the speck. I don't have a plank in my eye. Now I realize I'm talking to Jesus. So nobody's perfect. Okay, I'm not perfect, but I didn't start the fire, right? She did, they did, he did. And besides that, I was there for this, okay? So I see clearly what happened. My vision, my perspective is I am spot on. I know exactly what happened. There's no filter. I see clearly what happened and clearly it wasn't my fault. And if they are ever able to see as clearly as I am, well then I'm around, I'm waiting, I'll talk to him, right? No offense, Jesus, but are we done here? He says, no, because he's got a second question. See, isn't this relevant? It's like, who said this? I know, 2,000 years ago, it's like he read our minds. It's like he's been watching our families. He says, second question, how How can you say to that person, your brother, this sort of encapsulates any you know potential person or group we're having conflict with. How can you say to, to your brother, permit me to take this speck out of your eye? How, how is it you're even thinking? You know what? If she would sit down, if he would sit down and be reasonable and listen to me, I have the ability to take the little speck out of their eye so they can see as clearly as I do. And Jesus is like, Really? You really think you have such clarity on this that you have the ability and you want to say to them, Permit me, allow me, and let's just say what it is. I'll say, you know, how, how we think about it. Allow me to fix you. You're broken. You're insecure. You are relationally, you know, you're you're just uh, so immature. But if you sit down with me and you listen to my side of the story, my version of the story, and you're open-minded, you gotta be open-minded like I am. Allow me to fix you. Allow me to correct you. Jesus is like, seriously, who do you think you are? Now, how, how can you be so certain that you see as clearly as you think you do? Isn't it true? That's how we all think. I mean, listen to my story. I've told the story 10 times the same way. I mean, I was there. I know exactly what happened. Jesus' point is this. He's saying, look, you have things out of order. You're not completely wrong, but you just have things out of order. You're not ready. You don't see as clearly as you think you do because you have more work to do. How can you say, how can you say to your brother, permit me to take the speck out of your, your eye? And this is so interesting when all the time there is a plank in your own eye. Now the, the English phrase all the time is actually one Greek word. And in Greek, this is a play on words. It's kind of a, a cool little thing going on. So literally here, here's what this would say if we translated it literally. How can you say to your brother, permit me to take the speck out of your eye when behold, there is a plank in your own eye or to make it super colloquial. Here's what it would say. How can you say you'd rather permit me to take the speck out of your own eye when looky there, will you? <laughs> there is a plank in your eye. Then I think Jesus smiled when he taught, said this next. You know, I think Jesus was super friendly. He smiles and he says, you hypocrite. <laughs> Hupokrites, cre- hupo little Greek word where you get the word hypocrite. Hupokrites, you actor, you pretender. And we're so busted, right? So it's okay, like, hey, Jesus, let me see if I get this All right. So, what you're saying is, I got my issues, and they got their issues, and I should focus on my issues, and I should let them focus on their issues, right? In other words, what you're saying, the moral of this teaching is that I should just mind my own business, right? To which Jesus would say, no, uh-uh. This is, this is a lesson on reconciliation. This isn't a lesson on how you run to your little self-righteous corner and tell your story for the rest of your life. This is, this is a lesson on reconciliation. And Jesus' point is you should start with your own business, but it doesn't end there. In fact, he even uses the word first. You hypocrites, first, because there's a second and possibly a third. First. Take the plank out of your own eye. In other words, before you fix them or even talk to other people about how you would like to fix them or change them or get them to see things your way, you're you're getting things out of order. And granted, I, I understand why things are out of order. What they did was horrible. What they did was terrible. What they did was so disruptive and they did it over and over and over. I mean, we get it. But Jesus says, okay, before we get to them, we gotta start with you. So you just gotta start with the plank you got to identify your slice of the blame pie and it may be tea tiny right and it may take a minute in fact some of you are listening or you're watching and here's what you're thinking you're like okay for everybody else yeah but let me just tell you what this whole pie belongs in their face okay none of this pie belongs to me. So I want to challenge you to, to pray a prayer. If you don't believe God answers prayer, pray this prayer. I gave you a prayer last week. I said, if you don't believe God answers prayer, pray that one, pray this one. Heavenly father, please show me. Heavenly father, please show me where I was at fault. And before you finish the sentence, something may come to mind. In fact, as soon as I said that and suggested it, something came to mind, it's like, no, it's so tiny. God, your savior who loves you so you're like, I know it's so tiny, but that's where you start. But I mean, it's like, you know, my fault was kind of a reaction to what they did. We'll start with that. I mean, I mean, nobody even, start with that. Heavenly Father, And this is ridiculous, but you know, please show me where I was at fault. Heavenly Father, what could I have done different? Heavenly Father, how could I have responded different? Heavenly Father, was there anything I did to contribute to this? I'm not taking all the guilt and all the blame. I just, you know what? The only person I can do anything about is me. And I want to, Do me right, because I want things to be between you and me. I want them to be right. And if this somehow leads to something being right over there, great, but heavenly father, would you be willing to pray that? I mean, just would you show me my slice of the pie? And this is amazing. After Jesus says that, he makes you a promise. He makes you a promise. The promise is if you're humble enough if you're self-aware enough, if you're sensitive enough to that still small voice that kind of nudges you in this direction, Jesus says, if you'll do that, then, this is amazing, then you will see clearly, which makes sense because there will be something out of your eye. If there's something in your eye that's keeping you from seeing clearly, Jesus is saying, look, I just want you to see clearly. And you can't see, <laughs> you can't see clearly as long as you're worried about what's in their eye. That's, that's what keeps them from seeing clearly. I want you to see clearly. And once you decide, hey, put them aside for a moment, they've wrecked and ruined my life. Maybe it's huge, maybe it's just a neighbor thing. Maybe it's so small, you're like, does this even apply? He's like, if you will allow me to help you identify your slice of the blame pie, and you will do what you can to remove it, you will see clearly. But there's not a period here. And the reason there's not a period here, this is so important. In fact, if you used to be a Christian or a Jesus follower, more religious, and the reason you lost faith is because of a person of faith, it's because they didn't follow Jesus perhaps in this regard. There's no period here because following Jesus never stops with me. And following Jesus is never about you. And following Jesus never stops with, wow, I'm a better person now, thank you, Jesus. Whatever God is doing in me and whatever God wants to do in you, even in this regard, is a means to an end and relationships are always, always, always the end. Here's the promise. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly and you won't just be a clearer seer. You will see clearly with a purpose. You will see clearly to help remove the speck from your brother, your sister, your sister-in-law, the person, your neighbor, maybe somebody you used to work with you. You will be in a better position to help them get in a better position because recognizing and owning the log in my eye prepares me to move towards you, not to get back at you, but to get back to you. In other words, if there's something about me that's an obstacle to us, if there's something about me, even a tiny thing that's an obstacle to us, then I've got to cut myself a slice of the pie and identify it and admit it and own it and then remove it. And this is hard. When it comes to reassembling or repairing or fixing a relationship, it's hard because all of us, and we don't like to admit this is so ugly. All of us have a little thread of self-righteousness. Do you know what Jesus hated? (laughs) He hated self-righteousness. You know why he was always after the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law? It wasn't that they were dumb. It wasn't that they weren't trying. They were just so self-righteous. They were just so, They were just so sure of themselves. They were so focused on the speck and everybody else's eye. He's like, you got double logs, okay? And your problem is you're never going to address them because you think you're too good and so much better than everybody else. Self-righteousness always gets in the way. Self-awareness paves the way. And restoring or fixing a broken relationship requires self-awareness. That's why we say heavenly father. Okay, I think I've done everything I can. Heavenly father, I'm not aware, but if there's something else, I wanna identify it and I want to own it. So fixing or repairing a broken relationship requires four decisions on our part. The first one was, I'll get back to you I'll get back to, not get back at. I'm gonna take, you know, I'm gonna take persecution. I'm gonna take punishment. I'm gonna take you know, anything that's trying to take something away from you. I'm taking that off the table, no payback. Okay, I'm gonna get back. And the second decision is today's decision is I will own my slice of the blame pie. I will remove the pie from my eye. So not just so I'm a better person, not so I can say, ah, oh, my conscience is clear so that I can see the relationship more clearly. And so that when I think about that first decision, I'm gonna get back to rather than get back at, I'm in a better position to get back to because I can see clearly now that I've owned my slice. Of the pie. The apostle Paul um, summed it up this way. And we're going to come back to this verse next time as we wrap up the series, but this is so powerful. In fact, I would love for you to memorize this verse. Maybe put it on a card somewhere on your mirror dashboard, just keep it in front of you, especially if you're in the middle of a relationship challenge right now. Here's, here's what he wrote. It's so powerful. If it is possible, because sometimes it's not, he's a realist. If it is possible, then he kind of doubles down as far as it depends on you it's like, okay, your slice might be really, really, really thin, but anything that comes back and sits on your, you know, your side of the equation, as, as, as far as it is possible, as, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace or make peace, or some translations say, live at peace with everyone. And addressing, identifying and owning my part of the blame depends on me, which means reconciliation always begins in the mirror. And depending on how emotional it was, and depending on how hurt you are, and depending on how it affected you financially, or maybe affected your career, or how much time you get to spend with one of your children or your grandchildren I mean, this is, I realize this is deep, deep, deep heavy stuff. It still depends on you beginning in the mirror. And let me just say if you do what I do long enough. You've heard some version of every story and I'm still absolutely convinced. It begins in the mirror. And the more difficult it was and the more traumatic it was and the more it impacted you and your finances, your family, whatever it might be, the more difficult it is to pull your eyes off of them and to say to your heavenly father, this just feels insulting even to pray but if there's something that I need to own in this, I want to own it. That may be the beginning of freedom for you because you can't do anything you've already tried, right? About them. It begins with, and this is again, comes back to what Jesus said. It begins with doing what we hope the other person and praying the other person will do. In fact, let me read some of your minds, okay? Read some of your minds. Don't you wish Philip was here? <laughs> we should have invited Maggie. How can we get this to Maggie without Maggie knowing that we're the ones that sent it to her? Don't you wish your? Bo- I hope your boss is listening. I hear he kind of watches sometimes. I'm just open. Now, I can't send this to my boss. We're we're all like you know. There's somebody else out there that needs to hear this and do this. And Jesus just smiles <laughs> because if we come on if we're friends. If we aren't willing to do what we're convinced they should do, what does that make us? Yeah, Jesus was right. You're hypocrites. It's like, ah, he's so smart. So when we discover that log or that sliver or that piece of pie, you know, and and if it's safe, we've talked about that. And if it's appropriate, sometimes it's not safe or appropriate, but if you discover that little slice and it's safe and appropriate, then you you may need to write a letter. You may need to send an email. You may need to call somebody. You may need to have coffee, but for sure, you gotta go first because if you go first, like Jesus went first, here's what might happen. Some of you have been on the other side of this and you can't imagine that this could happen, but it happens all the time. If you'll go first, your humility, because humility is the most, it is the most powerful relational dynamic, humility. It is the most, relation. The humility draws people. Self-righteousness just pushes people away. If you're willing to go first with your little slice of the pie, your confession, your ownership of that may unlock something in the other person that they can't figure out how to unlock all by themselves. There are people living with extraordinary guilt because they know the pie is theirs. But it's so painful to admit it. They have all this bravado and they have all this hard shell and you know, they're just so fierce and you just think you're never ever gonna break through. And it's not because they don't know they're guilty. It's not because they don't know they were at fault. They don't know what to do with it because just as no one trained us how to fix a relationship, no one ever trains us about what to do with guilt and shame, right? So we just carry it around and it affects all of our relationships. And who knows, your humility in that moment may be the thing that gives them just enough emotional margin to acknowledge and to confess and to set them free from something they've been carrying a long, long time. But even if it doesn't, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. Here's something I've learned. I think I've shared this with you before. Um, I've learned, and I learned this the hard way. I just gotta say that the more aware I am of what God has yet to do in me, the slices of multiple pies, the less aware I am and the less consumed I am with what he has yet to do in the people around me. That the more aware I am, which is God made me aware, the, the less concerned I am and the less consumed I am. Some of you, you're consumed and you don't wanna be consumed. And if I heard your story, I would say, you know what? You have every reason in the world to be consumed by that person, by what happened, those are events. And your heavenly father, this is how Jesus said it. He said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. And I'm gonna give you rest. Then he says this, I want you to take my yoke upon you, which means you're carrying the yoke of guilt and shame. You're carrying the yoke of fear. You're carrying the yoke of it's never gonna work out. You're carrying the yoke of nothing's ever gonna change. He's like, I want you to take that off. I want you to take my yoke upon you because I am gentle and I am humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. So this is about you, but it's not for you. This is for you, but it's not just about you. This is an invitation to follow Jesus in such a way that something happens in you, but something potentially happens through you. And you may be the key to unlocking a lock that doesn't seem like it's ever gonna be unlocked in somebody else's heart through your humility. And you know what's gonna happen if you do this for the rest of your life, I promise you, when you read this passage and he talks about the speck in their eye and the log in yours, you're not gonna be offended by that because you will discover because you will have experienced it. And you will realize that what was in your eye, what's in my eye is bigger than we thought it was. And what I was sure was in their eye wasn't quite as big. So four decisions we've covered too. Number one, got to decide. I'm taking retribution off the table. I will get back to, I will not get back at. Even when I have an opportunity to get back at and nobody's gonna know about it, I'm not doing that because my heavenly father did not get back at me, sent his son for me. And number two, I'm gonna own my slice of the blame pie. Now, imagine, it's hard to imagine. Imagine what would happen in your family. Imagine what would happen in our community. Imagine what would happen in our nation. Imagine what would happen in the world if everybody just paused and took this one lesson from Jesus seriously if we stopped all of our finger pointing, both kinds, if we stopped all of our finger pointing and took an honest look in the mirror, because after all the person in the mirror is the only person any of us can do anything about. So I know it's tough for some of you. This is like a small thing. It's a neighbor thing. It's this guy at work thing, you know? For some of you, it's been years and years and years thing. For some of you, it's, it's so emotional, it's so complicated. For some of you, it's, you almost feel like I've been insensitive to even suggest this, I understand that. But I wanna invite you in this very specific way to follow Jesus. And I wanna invite you, as he's invited you, to go first. And I wanna invite you not to miss part four of Reassembly Required. Remember, it's just the beginner's guide for repairing Broken relationships. Before you go, guess what I have? Four questions. Three questions. Three questions. That's right, Bill. Three questions. Okay. Number question number one. It's the first time you've ever got an answer wrong in church, Bill. Okay. And the answer is always Jesus. Anyway, just say Jesus whenever I ask a question. Okay. Question number one. Um, is it ever? Is it this is kind of a silly question? But if you want to talk about this over lunch or with your small group, you know, whoever you're watching with, is it difficult for you to admit you're wrong? Uh, why? Why not? This is this is the real question, right? Number two. And if you're a parent, look up here. If you're a parent or grandparent. This next question is for you to talk about with your kids or grandkids because they've not seen this model perhaps. And sometimes we need legendary family stories to help us get a focus on, to help us focus on this. What is the most difficult relationship you've ever had to repair? And what did you learn from that experience? What is the most difficult relationship you've ever had to repair? Do your kids and grandkids know about this? This This is what sets you up to talk about one of the most important skills they'll ever develop, how to fix a relationship. Number three, would you commit Romans 12, 18 to memory? If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. Would you commit that to memory? Bottom line is this, reconciling depends on us sometimes more than we think it does because we think it depends more on them. And it depends more on us sometimes than we want to admit. And forgiveness is important. But as we've said, forgiveness, that's just halfway because I can forgive from a distance. I can't reconcile with you from a distance. That's why I'm gonna decide to get back to you, not back at you. You, it's always awkward, it's always emotional, but as far as it depends on you, would you be willing to take the first step and make peace so you can be at peace with your Father in heaven and perhaps pave the way to peace with someone else? Heavenly Father, it's much easier to stand up here and talk about than to do. Father, I realized with an audience this large, there are stories There are stories that would bring us to tears and wonder if we have any right to make any suggestions. So would you give each of us the wisdom to know what to do and the courage to do it, the courage to go first, the courage to pray that prayer, Father, if I'm missing something, I don't wanna miss it, I wanna own it. And I pray, Father, that you would use somebody sitting here or listening today, their words to unlock somebody else's heart, that their humility but unlock a heart that's gonna stay locked up and hidden unless that happens. So again, eyes to see, ears to hear, courage to act in Jesus' name, amen.